real, and he's not able to analyze his struggle with sin, an inability to understand in any realm of life is very frustrating. When we are left without an understanding, it can be frustrating for us. Anytime there is a struggle, there is normally a desire on the part of the struggler to analyze, to scrutinize, and to strategize in hopes of resolving the issue. Uh, all of us have been in, in struggle. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in struggle, and it's often, right, because we've got this enemy hot on our trail, uh, uh, what I attempt to do is I attempt to understand what's going on and analyze it. Then I attempt to, to scrutinize the whole thing. And then, and then in my little feeble mind, uh, I think that I'm going to strategize my way out of it. Right? But that's not possible because we're not able to, to resolve the issue. Sin is unfortunately beyond human comprehension. It's beyond our ability to understand. Sin, my brothers and sisters, is deep, it's dark, it's mysterious, and yes, it's even mesmerizing. How many times have you been caught in something and you look like a deer in headlights? You know, you like a zombie. Because sin uh, is mesmerizing to us. It will, it will blow your mind and it is beyond in fact sin can become extremely addictive you do know that somebody say yeah because everybody knows that you may not be willing to admit it just say amen anyway it can it, if you're not careful it, be, it can become extremely addictive so much so that if we're not careful, we begin to look for relief for life's problems in that. <laughs> we begin to look for relief. We begin to look for relief from, from, from the problems and the issues of life in the very thing that is seen. In fact, uh, I like what Tim Keller says about it. Here's what Tim Keller says about that very thing. He says this. He says, you really know that you are in the inescapable stranglehold of an addiction when you look at the very thing that's causing the problems in your life to give you relief from the problems in your life. All of us all very relate to that. Sin, if we're not careful, it is addicting. Paul says in verse 18, the second part of verse 18, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The flesh Paul is talking about refers to the old man. The old woman, the alter ego, the buddy love in us, the Mr. Hyde in us, because uh, whether you're willing to admit it or confess it or not, all of us have a buddy love. And it don't take serum to bring him out. <laughs> Robert, all you got to do is catch me on the wrong day. <laughs> I'm, 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 just be, I'm trying to be like Paul. I'm trying to be transparent. You need, to, you need to say amen because you say, all you got to do is catch me. I told you a couple weeks ago, I hate bad drivers. Catch me on the highway when I'm in a hurry. <laughs> and the buddy love might come out. And, it might, <laughs> he might come out. All of us have this alter ego, and it is the flesh. When the good in you says one thing, the bad says just the opposite. 
Nothing good ever comes when we submit to the desires and the urgings of the flesh. In fact, here's what Paul says about the flesh in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For they are, they are, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Flesh and submitting to it, giving in to it, and allowing that alter ego to reign and rule supreme is a deadly thing. It will lead to deadly consequences. What, 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 what does it look like? How, how do we define flesh? Well, I like what John Piper, how he defines it. He defines it this way. He says this about flesh. He says, flesh is any human action or achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And without glorying, exalting in, trusting, treasuring, and valuing Jesus Christ. That's how you define it. You ever wonder what exactly, is it my skin? No, it's deeper than that. Is it this body that I live in? No, it's deeper than that. Piper says it's any time you do something that does not honor or value Jesus Christ who supposedly dwells on the inside of us. That is the flesh. That is the altar ego in us. Sometimes we give in to. That, that's what it looks like. Paul says this about how we should combat it. Romans 13, 14, we'll get there eventually. This is what Paul says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so then, Paul continues with his confession in 18 and 19, and he says this, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Man, that's tough, man. That's, that, that, that. We listen to that. Man, it makes us think, man, that sounds, that sounds an awful lot like me. And what Paul is saying is this. He says that there are two in one. There are two in me. There are two in one. One wants to do right and the other wants to do wrong. These two men share one body and they fight over everything. He finds, Paul finds, that he is hindered when it comes to doing the right thing, and he is helped when it comes to doing the wrong thing. It, 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 it's often easier. It often, it often is easier to do the wrong thing, isn't it? Sometimes doing the hard thing, the right thing is hard. It's kind of like eating. It's easy to pull in the McDonald's, isn't it? Get an old Big Mac and some fries, be out of there in less than five minutes. It's harder to sit down and prepare a healthy, wholesome, not only is it harder, it's more expensive, right? Grilled chicken, Caesar salad, and all that good stuff, green beans, carrot, it costs a whole lot more than a Big Mac, and it takes more time. It's harder oftentimes to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. Here's the problem, Martha. We've got to look beyond 
what's what 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 uh, uh instant gratification and what's easy, Paul says, that's what I always oftentimes find myself doing and looking for, but it's bigger, it's deeper than that, because we've got to look at not just what's good for me right now and what gets me on my way faster, but what is going to allow me to live longer. Is the Big Mac going to help me live longer or is the grilled chicken and Caesar salad? It's harder, but it's better. Paul says there's two in one on the inside of us that are fighting and struggling. One is saying do one thing. The other is saying, is saying doing the other, do the other thing. And it's a battle that goes on. Then he helps us the second way. First way is through confession. The second way is through his conclusion. His conclusion. It's found in verses 21 through 23. And you notice as 21 through 23 begins, this is what Paul says. He says this, so I find. It says to me that he's about to share with us his findings. His conclusion of the whole matter. He's getting ready to share with us what he has discovered based on everything he's just said. Verse 21 says this, in all of what's been said thus far about the struggle, Paul's findings are that the other part of him is always close by, waiting on an opportunity to spring into action. The other part, the alter ego is always close by, just waiting. Buddy is always right there, just waiting. Here's what Peter says about it in 1 Peter 5 and 8. He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Luke 22, that's where that is. So then in, in verse 22 of Romans chapter 7, Paul continues with his conclusion, with his findings. Verse 22, and he says this. First he says, so I find then in 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God. Stop. This is what Paul says. He says, I delight in God's law. He says, after examining the whole of life, Paul's determination as he ponders all of his life is similar to Solomon's when he is near the end of his life and looks back over his life and ponders all of his life. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, this is what Solomon says. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Paul sounds a whole lot like Solomon here in Romans chapter 7. Because as he looks back over his struggles uh, of his life, he says, listen, I delight. I don't hate the law. I delight in the law of God. 
Here Paul reveals that his conclusion is that whatever God has said in his word is a delight to him. We ought to be the same way. Whatever God's word says, we should love it. Whatever God's word says should be a delight to us. Paul, in every true believer, loves the word of God because the conclusion is that the word says what the word says about itself is very true. I found that what the word says about itself is very true. Let me give you some examples. Hebrews 4 and 12, the word says this about itself. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the word says about itself. Then in Psalm 119, 105, the word says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Proverbs 30 and 5 says, Every word of God proves to be true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Paul says, I delight in the law of God. We should say, uh, as hard and as difficult as we find it sometimes, we should also say, I delight in, I love the word of God because it is a light and a lamp for me. It is the very truth, the very word, the very breath of God. Paul says, I delight in it. I delight in his word. Uh, and I want, Paul says this, I want to do it with all my heart. But I love it and I want to do it with all my heart. But this flesh that I live in just does not like the word. Flesh that we live in. There is a battle raging in me that will endure until the end uh, of this earthly life. The law is often outmatched within me by this other law. The law is often outmatched by this other law. It's what Jesus was referring to in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to pray and returned to find his disciples sleeping. He said this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. There's a war. And then finally, Paul helps us. He helps us finally in verses 24 and 25 with contrition and confidence. I know those words uh, are not necessarily synonymous. They don't necessarily feed off each other. Uh, but Paul uses these two things to help us to be able to deal with this struggle, with this battle, with the two in one, with the buddy and the Mr. Hyde that dwells on the inside of us. He says this, there must be contrition first. That's what he says. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says this. Wretched man that I am. Paul ends this passage with, a, with an expression of his frustration about his record with sin. 
and his inability to understand it. This is not Peter who denied Christ three times. This is not Judas who sold Jesus out for some money. This is Paul who came to life after having a personal encounter with the risen Lord on the Damascus Road and went on to do great things for the cause of Christ and say things like that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. He says things like, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. If Paul could be contrite enough to acknowledge his frailties and his faults, certainly. We should. Paul, first of all, has contrition. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, I'm wretched because I, my record against sin is not good. Then he asks the question of the ages. Who shall deliver me? Who will deliver me? It's the age-old question, the question of eons, the question of the ages. Who shall, who is able, who will deliver me? He helps us with it. Because in the midst of, of being contrite and having contrition, he has also confidence. He has good news that his contrition and frustration in 24 gives way to his confidence in 25. You'll be happy to know that I'm at the end. And here at the end, I want to read to you verse 25 from the NIV version. Because I like the way it renders this verse. Because the NIV rendering of this verse makes it plain that even in our contrition, even in our difficulties, even in our struggles, the answer to the age-old question is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Here's how the NIV renders it. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul is setting us up for Romans chapter 8. He's setting us up to ride high in Romans chapter 8 because he says, here is the confidence I have. My faith is built, my hope is built, my trust is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Paul says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name, on Christ. The solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. He walks with me. He talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his own, and the joy, I just need a little help. The joy we share as we linger there, no one else has ever known. Jesus is the answer that we've been waiting for for nine verses of buddy love. Jesus 
I left you last week telling you that the law was no match for sin. But both Paul and I want to leave you today with this. Sin is no match for the Savior. Sin is no match for the Savior. Can we pray, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness, and your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is our answer. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we, before we go in.